Hi, and welcome back to Top Gun Minute. It's your daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and celebrate 1986 Top Gun, one rockin' and rollin' minute at a time. I am your host, or your pilot, Brian Kaboom Boucher. And I'm your Rio, Roger Cooter Wistar. How's it going, Cooter? It's going fine, Kaboom. How are you? I'm good. That's the thing about this movie. There are a lot of call signs and not regular uh, names. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love, and we'll get to this, I guess, at the end of the movie when we talk about the credits, is that the the people in this movie with call signs are only listed in the credits by their call signs. That is true. It's like Stinger. Yeah. Uh, and oh. um, w- w- we can talk more about that when yeah. we get to the final credits, but yeah. uh, it's it's like this movie just totally owns the fact that these guys are just, they're just, they're just their call signs. That's it. And with, it's the way the military is though. You, know, you, you don't have a first name. Your first name is your last name normally. Yeah, but it, they don't even get last names. Yeah, no, it's like, no. You're Wolfman. Well, well, every once in a while you hear a Kazansky. That's true. Or, that is true. Mitch, but, but, but not in, but not in the credits. But not in the credits. It's just yeah. Iceman, Val Kilmer. Uh, minute three starts with that editing credit for Billy Weber and Chris Lebenson. And it ends with The Running Man. <laughs> but not Arnold Schwarzenegger, sadly. No, sadly. What, uh, what this can, can, movie can, would be yeah, if there imagine? was Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if uh, he could fit in a cockpit. I'm sure He's, he can. Especially, especially in 1986. I mean, I feel like we should give some props to my man, Billy Weber and Chris Levinson, because they are yeah. one of the four Academy Award nominations for this movie. They got nominated yeah. for Best Film Editing, which right. I think is totally deserved. I mean, the way that they were somehow able to take all of this footage and, you know, combine actual aerial footage, with footage on sta- on sound stages and make it look like it was actually happening. It's a pretty amazing job. And especially the way they filmed it, which little trivia. You know, they filmed the the ground story first, got that all taken care of, and then they did all the flying uh, aerial photography, and then getting all that together and making a story apparently was a very hard time to do. And is that just a function of the fact that they 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 didn't have their their act together as far as getting the aerial footage done, and so they just were like, go shoot all this stuff that we can shoot that's like a regular movie first? Nope, that's not why. Oh, okay. It, nope, it's because of the Navy. <laughs> this is the first movie that Hollywood actually got approval from the Navy and actually worked together to make a movie. It took a long time, various, there, I think there were seven iterations of the script that had to be approved from the Navy and the Pentagon before they could actually start filming. Yeah, that's why it took so long for the, for the aerial stuff. Because there in the script, there was some accidents. Some of the things that in real life, Top Gun instructors and cadets couldn't do. Hollywood had their script, said, hey, we want to do this. And the Pentagon was like, uh, no, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I remember I remember hearing that too when I was watching those featurettes. I can't I can't remember specific examples. Do you remember any like specific examples of the sorts of things that like the screenwriters had in mind that were patently ludicrous? Well, I, I don't want to give away too much. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. But let's just say there was a an accident that happens. Yes. And it's not the accident they originally had in mind. Oh. Yeah, so we'll get to that. Yeah. But yeah, Billy Weber and Chris Levinson. So I got a few things. Chris Levinson, 46 credits total. That's not very many. No, but he's been doing it ever since. And that's just 
most of his stuff is for television. So. He does. He does seem like he is Tony Scott's editor. Though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like if if you take a look at his his IMDb, he's got oh. a lot of Tony Scott films. Yeah. Weird Science is in it. Beverly Hills Cop Two, Days of Thunder, Enemy of the State, Crimson Tide. Hey, we've talked about that. Well, yeah. I mean, if and, you look here, you and, will see pretty much all of Tony Scott's films um, uh, edited by Chris Levins. He was also nominated for that Academy Award you're talking about for Crimson Tide that you talked so, about in a previous episode. So he's been nominated twice. Yes. Good for him. I also noticed that he is the editor for the upcoming Top Gun Maverick. Yes. And mm-hmm. he was the editor for Geostorm. Let's not sleep on And he's also done lots and lots of Tim Burton's movies. He's, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, I mean, so we know that we noticed this in our other podcast that I do. Sometimes you get people on a crew who just sort of seem to hitch their wagon to a particular, um, you know, director uh, right. and they just kind of become their guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to see that Chris Levinson ha- is sort of the go-to person for two directors that honestly could not be more different from another, like Tim Burton, Tony Scott, the Venn diagram of those two directors in their movies, like does not intersect. And Billy Weber, down for the thin red line. He looks like he is connected with Terrence Malick because he also did the tree of life. Oh, some other ones that are not so good. <laughs> if, yeah. if I had to power rank these two guys, I'm definitely throwing my weight behind Chris Levinson because yeah. Chris Levinson is not the editor for The Love Guru or Geely. But hey, yeah. you got to work. Right. So we get to John F. Cure Jr., who's our production designer, and then Jeffrey Kimball, the director of photography. I feel like he doesn't get enough love. I, Me too. I'm, actu- I'm actually surprised... I don't know. Do directors of photography, are they the ones that get nominated for best cinematography? I believe so. Because it it seems like if that's the case, he got snubbed. I don't know yeah. how many other movies in 1986 were taken footage like this. And I really feel like he probably should have gotten a little bit more recognition than he actually. Let's see. Then we got the executive producer, Bill Badalato. Say that three times fast. No, I won't. <laughs> and we'll talk about him later on. Some stuff for him in the future. Then our writers, Jim Cash, Jack Epps Jr. I know you have many things to say about that. So maybe I'll just set you up and let you go. I know that they wrote this script from an article that um, came out in California Magazine called Top Guns by someone named, uh, see if I get this right, Ehud Yone. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Jim Cash, is he military? I can't remember. Maybe I not. I don't think he's military, but okay. he, he has his private pilot's license. So, so. I, ha- I confess I have not read Top Guns by Ehud Yone, but I know you have. So yes, I, I tell, have. Us, tell us about the article and where this movie This article was in California Magazine in May of 1983. I've read through it, and it's just a story basically about what happens at Top Gun. It's 12 pages long. Did you see like particular things in the article that you that you saw them kind of drop in wholesale into the movie? One of the pictures in uh, from C.J. Heatley, which we will talk about him later on in the movie because he's in it, but he did some photography of some inverted planes. Hmm. Oh, yeah, which was in the article. So we have Ehud to thank for our negative G inverted dive. Jerry Bruckheimer found this in a dentist's office. It was on the table and he went to the dentist, picked it up and read it and went to his 
partner in crime, Don, and said, we need to make this movie. See, this would never happen anymore. Oh, no. I, there are so many hours where I was sitting in doctor's offices, California Magazine, Reader's Digest, and Highlights, and all you could do is just sit there and pretend that you were interested in what you were reading. Now, yeah. of course, you just have your, your smartphone, and you'll just like you know, surf Instagram or something like that. Right. So, you know, this is, this is an amazing source of inspiration. And somehow it worked. We're still talking about it 35 years later, one minute at a time. <laughs> what is sort of the, like, what is the, what is the, what are the big takeaways? From, like, what in that article do you think they felt made like a compelling uh, movie? I, I guess what I'm asking is like, what is the, what is the drama? What is the conflict? What is the kind of, what are the exciting bullet points that you take away from that article that are well, like, yeah, this is going to be exciting. Or is it well, just one of those things where they just kind of described what happened and then they fashioned this plot around it? That, that is exactly it. They have oh, this, okay. Yeah. There's a story of a couple pilots, a couple Rios, and they talked about their maneuvers that they did. Yeah. This guy who I believe he was Israeli journalist. You're talking about my man Ehud. Yes. Okay. Israeli has a an air force. I don't think that's that weird. Is, the the IAF I think is one of the best air forces in the world, from what is, I hear. That's true. But to the normal person that might be listening to this, might not know that. And then directed by Tony Scott. Tony Scott is a character. <laughs> he's very. Uh, he's from England. You know, brother to Ridley Scott. That always surprises me. I just want to mention that. I mean, I know we've talked yeah. about Tony Scott a lot already, but. You know, somehow, and I don't know why, maybe this is just the deranged way my mind works. I, I have a hard time thinking that, you know, you hear him talk and he sounds like the very model of a modern major general. And then yet he is the producer for like all of these big blockbuster popcorn American action. Yeah. Not that you have to be American to be good at directing these, but it's it's like uh, it, it just doesn't, There's a there's a cognitive dissonance in my mind when I hear Tony Scott talking about you know, this, uh, this very testosterone-driven American military yeah. film. He made commercials. That was his claim to fame at the time. And he did this commercial for Saab. In this commercial was very rock and roll, a Saab racing A-fighter jet. Mm, sound familiar? I feel like maybe I've seen that. Yes, it, I, you probably have. I, I, I watched it uh, a couple of days ago to get myself in that frame of mind. I think I probably haven't seen that commercial. I feel mm -hmm. like the theme of uh, cars racing planes is something that's been revisited multiple times in the last four years. But he was basically one of the first. That's what Jerry Bruckheimer went to Tony Scott to get him on board because he was very rock and roll, had experience with fighter jets. Speaking of rock and roll. Yeah, because, yeah, so before we get to Danger Zone, I got a couple other things about that. But I mean, yeah. it... It's it's interesting to think about this movie because I feel like I feel like what makes this movie great and what really sort of it's it's the fighter it's the fighter plane movie that survives to this day and what really distinguished it from sort of all the things that had come before it like Airwolf was before this movie right yeah and uh, I don't I don't know where Iron Eagles is uh, yeah, but yeah um, it came out in January of nineteen okay so but like those movies do not show you what it's like to be flying right. and what what makes this movie above and beyond those other things is it's not just a bunch of like static cockpit shots in the studio with our main actor just like sitting there pretending to fly right. um like this this is this is 
as close as it gets to sort of like cinema verite when it comes to yeah. actual planes flying because there are actual planes right yeah and there was no cgi back then <laughs> no so, so this is all practical effects and all the flying scenes are actual jets flying before we get to uh danger zone um mm-hmm. can i just mention one thing about the action this minute yeah so i've written down in my notes here um i feel like in these couple of minutes there's a little bit of preening on the part of the ground crew. Um, I, I'm going to talk a lot more about this in the next minute, but like mm. in this minute in particular, like at about second 42, like there's a guy in a yellow vest who I guess is, is it's his job to tell one of the planes that they have to go this way. Mm. Um, but like the way that he points with his finger, it seems just a little bit embellished. Like yeah. these guys know that they're on. Film. Like, I'm sure that they're actually doing their jobs, mm-hmm. but I could tell when I was watching the beginning of this movie that they were getting a kick out of like showing people what it's like to actually work on the flight deck of the enterprise. I enjoy the, I enjoy the uh, very, uh, the finesse with which he's able to point to his life. Mm. And I agree. And it is like that for real on a jetway or aircraft carrier, you know, they do all those signals and lots of different signals that only pilot would understand or you know certain ground crew understand but yeah they, may, maybe maybe they did embellish a little bit but do they do a little hop skip and a jump when a plane catches the arrestor wire all right sorry we'll talk about that in the next <laughs> in, minute. next minute okay yeah I, anyway that's just my way of saying i love all these guys that are in the ground crew yeah me too i feel like a personal connection with these people because i was in the military myself so i i know exactly how these people feel are you ready to go to the danger zone, Brian? Yeah. So this is where we get danger zone, right? It comes yeah. in sort of right at about two forty-five. Uh, have yep. in my notes. Yep. Right as right as that directed by Tony Scott credit appears. Yeah, and I mean not coincidentally, you know, right when the plane takes off. Yeah, those afterburners are kicking in, and that's right. That, so that jet is on its way. Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. I feel like he and Harold Faltemeyer, they're sort of like they both have to be kind of up there as like iconic 1980s soundtrack people. Yeah. How would you power rank this movie for Ken? Like, where do you feel like this movie fits into the movie pantheon? Cause I mean, there's basically, there's like three Kenny Loggins movies that I think you really have to talk about. Right. Right. There's, there's Top Gun, there's Footloose. And okay. I don't think you can sleep out. Uh, you know, you can't leave out Caddyshack. Right. So if you had to pick, if, if you had to power rank those three movies, Honestly, what order would you put them in in terms of your favorite Kenny Loggins work? Well, I would put them in exactly like you just said: Top Gun, Footloose, and then Caddyshack. I think I would too. He gets two songs in this movie. Yeah, I forget if he gets two songs in Footloose. Uh, I don't remember. I haven't. I haven't watched that in forever. But but it's they're different songs. I mean, Danger Zone is very rock and roll, but airplanes within footloose it's you want to dance sure and then you know my brain is going crazy with oh i'm all right uh that was just like a fun song it's well like, i think oh. i mean i think you can you can see that i'm all right is a movie from the early 1980s true whereas these uh the songs from top gun um danger zone and playing with the boys are like those are solidly nine, mid 1980s. Like yeah. those songs scream the mid 90s. Yeah. The, you know, the interesting thing is when I watch these featurettes and they, they talked a little bit about the music, mm-hmm. I get the sense that 
Danger Zone is not really prototypical Kenny Loggins, and he did not really feel like it. It's sort of it's not it's not really the kind of music in general that Kenny Loggins was making at the time. This was yeah. sort of a this is sort of an out of character type performance. Yeah, because he was more into folk music. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a little bit more edgy rock and roll was a little bit out of his wheelhouse at the time. But in this, you know, in you know, the songs in this movie are very rock and roll, right? Which I I think is interesting that they would that they would pick him to start with. Right. Uh, and that he would be able to kind of hit as big as he did with these. Yep. So yeah. he's got, but, he's got but, two songs in Footloose. Uh, man, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. I have a hard, I, I'm actually, I'm going to have a hard time. I know I should vote for this movie because it's my movie and I'm not on Footloose Minute. Um, <laughs> but I really like both of the songs. How well do you know Footloose? The, the soundtrack or the, the movie itself? Both. Oh, yeah. Well, the movie itself. Yeah, I know. Pretty so well. He, so he does the theme song to Footloose, obviously. Right. Um, but I forgot about this. He also does the song. It's called "I'm Free." Heaven helps the man. Which, if you forget, if you forget what song that is, that's the song that they play when they're all like riding on their motorcycles to the dance hall to set up for that song uh, uh, over the line in Beaumont. That song is great, and yeah. I love that moment in the movie. Right. So I don't know if I, if I consider the entire body of work, I, mm. maybe it's a tie for me. But Caddyshack then- is a distant. But then back to Danger Zone, you know, he didn't even write the song. You know, this wasn't his song. He's just singing it. Which is true for a lot of um, people who perform songs on soundtracks. Yeah. But uh, watching the Danger Zone behind the scenes of Top Gun 86, you know, that's on the Blu-ray. He talks about how it was uh, basically a cattle call for get people to sing the soundtrack. He was one of like 300 people all these composers and writers and they wanted toto to do it that's right i heard that oh my gosh this this would not be as good with toto i cannot i mean i'm the only the only toto song i could ever think of is africa right i just i cannot imagine those guys that song would have had like zero oomph and they also had a (laughs) some interesting trivia they had brian adams was up i mean that makes sense Brian Adams is the person who kind of took the crown from Kenny Loggins as sort yeah. of your middle-aged white guy who can do rock songs for soundtracks. And, you know, as, as epitomized by everything I do, I do it for you from Robin Hood. Prince of yeah, Prince. but he turned it down. Do you know why? No. Because huh. he, he, oh, you know what? I think I do, but tell, tell the audience. He thought it was war propaganda and did not. It didn't go with his political views. He was right. This movie is war propaganda. Very, very much. So imagine hey, that you gotta you gotta applaud someone. So so instead of this movie, he decided to write a song for another war propaganda movie of like Dark Ages, Elizabethan England. <laughs> right. Right. So if if they replaced the Stinger missiles in this movie with actual arrows, he would have yeah. been on board. Yeah. Yeah. That's like Matthew Modine was picked to be uh maverick tom cruise didn't want to do it but then he turned it down because of the same reason but then the very next year he went on a vision quest yeah in a full metal jacket oh that's right well but (laughs) to be fair but but that's more fair that that is kind of an anti-war movie a that's an anti-war movie and b as joker he is the most anti-war character in that movie i mean he's he's essentially commenting on how ludicrous the military yeah 
so you know he he got to have his cake and eat it too yeah um can i just say one more thing about danger zone sure so i mean and maybe you were going to say this but the you when you were saying that the song wasn't written by kenny loggins it was written by someone i'm going to attempt to pronounce their name it sounds like giorgio Moroder, right um who also is the person who wrote take my breath away yeah which is wild yeah and and the lyrics were written by his ferrari mechanic i've heard that too we should tell more of that story when we get to that part but it's just like it's yeah. so uh, georgia Moroder has one two three four separate credits five yeah. i'm sorry five separate credits so i don't recognize this last song uh, which one is that through the fire uh yeah i don't know where that is but yeah so he uh we'll so he, he is he is the writer of this most excellent the that's notes all, i have that's all i got too ghost rider this is kaboon requesting you to like and subscribe and share with your friends if you could please rate and review me on your favorite podcasting apps you can continue the discussion on facebook at top gun minute listener school find us on twitter at top gun minute pod send your emails to me at top gun minute pod at gmail.com you can find us and all your other favorite movies done in this format at moviesbyminutes.com thank you again for listening and until next time this episode pattern is full